0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening, the last one for March. And I'm so excited. I just can't hide it,
2: John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, listeners. Wonderful gardening weather and... It's interesting how people's interest are cha- uh, is changing at the moment and where we're growing things to look at and to eat. Uh, we're also attracting wildlife back into the garden and that's our theme for this morning's program.
0: It certainly is. In a moment, one of our special guests, a uh, very regular and well-known to our Talkback Gardeners, James Smith, urban zoologist, who's going to be a judge of our wonderful autumn Talkback Gardening gardener's competition what do you do it's photographic what do you do to attract wildlife into your garden whether it's a few pots on your balcony or in your courtyard garden or whether you've got a suburban block or whether you're lucky enough to have a sprawling garden we want to know what you plant what you've installed what you've landscaped and we want a photograph of it, so we'll t- give you the details in just a moment, so stay tuned. Lots of ideas on how to do it as well from James, so I'm so excited about that. And it's not just one launch today, John. There are two launches today. It's the
2: end of the tomato season, and people are pulling out their uh, the last of their tomato plants, probably over Easter, and uh, putting in their winter crops. But for the past 10 years or more, we've been running uh, an end of tomato season survey, and it's given us some wonderful insights as to what the successful people do that's a little bit different to those that probably have had disappointing crops, and we'll talk about the survey later in the program, but uh, there's a lot of wildlife (laughs) issues to be discussed this morning, and James Smith will be our guest, and uh, could I just say this morning, please, no questions on possums.
0: Okay, because that that is a it's an Achilles heel of everybody because basically if they want in, it's hard to keep them out. But no, if you've got a question on how to attract habitat to your garden, James is with us until about half past nine this morning and so call in with your questions right now on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. I'm getting some beautiful photographs on the text line but Hold your fire on those because if you want to be a part of our competition, you'll need to send them to our website. I'll give you the details a little bit later this morning. Um, And if you've got comments to make, we always love to hear them on 0467 922 891. And I have also the last March ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away as well, so a lot of ground to cover In the next hour on Talkback Gardening. Lovely to be with you this morning.
2: Let's say good morning to James Smith, ecologist and uh, the uh, uh, person that runs for nature. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. So, wildlife. Many people like the thought of bringing wildlife back into their garden. And we often get questions on, uh, the question is, what kind of plants can I grow that will attract wildlife? Now, the perception is, it's just a matter of getting the right plants. Is that perception reality?
1: Plants are essential. They're the backbone. We need shelter, food and water. But one of the really important things people often overlook, particularly in the city, Is structure
2: structure what do you mean by structure
1: well we don't have for example um, fairy wrens down in the city they rely on the complex um, habitats that small and tall shrubs provide the density that they can flit into escape potential predators etc And historically, we actually had quite a lot of that in the city when we used to have the old wire mesh fences and vegetation between blocks. But as we've cut up blocks or as we've modernised, we've tended to put up uh, brush fences or steel fences or brick fences. So the habitat that was historically there, much of that has disappeared.
2: Okay, so getting the right structure in the plant is important. Are there other structural elements that we should be looking at?
1: Well, there are actually five structural layers that we don't necessarily think about. We've got the tall trees, we've got tall shrubs, small shrubs, all the ground covers and grasses, and... And the leaf litter and the ground structure, and that includes rocks and logs, things like that, bare ground, because some insects rely on bare ground, as well as things that are partially buried, because a whole range of things rely on that to
2: hide in, hide under, or forage in. So maybe people are planting the right plants, but uh, there's the other elements that are missing, and so they're not getting the full benefit. That's right, and by having a whole range of habitats
1: we increase the number of native species we can get and therefore by and large we increase the complexity and the amount of biodiversity we attract to our
2: backyards. How do we rate here in Adelaide in, in attracting wildlife back to our gardens perhaps start with the the bigger the parks and gardens how, how, how do you rate them? You can be rude. Okay um,
1: Adelaide is incredibly interesting um, we have lots of as Chris Daniel described it in his book about 10 or 15 years ago, pocket parks. So we have lots and lots of pocket parks, and many of those have tall trees and mowing lawn. We did away with that shrubby layer many years ago. On occasions, they're being brought back, certainly along the hills face zone. We have some parks that have a mixture of bushland and the traditional park, but we really don't rate very well as far as bushland
2: within adelaide itself and therefore we're down on biodiversity so there's a need for a change in thinking maybe for many of our parks with a few of those elements put back into the structure what about home gardens though home gardens as i said historically back in the 50s and 60s and
1: 70s with the mesh fences we had lots of vegetation along our fence line to offer us privacy now much of that has been removed and we've put in the privacy in different ways but by bringing back that structure Um, We can really help. Unfortunately, most gardens are too small to actually incorporate that structure itself. So it really works to look outside. We think of our homes as islands, almost as castles or refuges. But if we look outside our boundaries and go, what other assets are there? Do I live by a creek, a park, a school that has really tall trees and
2: can I connect to
1: them? Or does my neighbour have a tall tree or small shrubs that I can add to?
2: Well gardeners be familiar with Joe's Connected Garden, where he and uh, his neighbours have got together and uh, they share fruit and vegetables, perhaps uh, from a wildlife point of view, that concept would work. Look, perhaps from a wildlife perspective, it's even more important. Wildlife doesn't recognise
1: your property boundary or your neighbours, and they go right across uh, the suburbs when they possibly can and by creating connectivity you, often you don't even need to take down those fences but if you do it above ground etc you can create a boreal connectivity and structure um
2: while retaining those fences that excited voice Mm. and the person who's quite excited in asking Mm. questions. Uh, We're talking with James Smith, uh, ecologist, uh, runs for nature uh, here in Adelaide. And uh, James, you're available for questions, but you're also here for a particular reason. And Deb... Your turn.
0: Let's talk about it right now because I'm getting so many wonderful photographs on the text line. I want to tell you how you can be a part of the wonderful competition that James is going to be a judge in. And I'll tell you, he's also contributed some excellent prizes, which we'll run through in just a moment. But if you've got a question for James on how to create habitat for wildlife in your garden, be it beneficial insects all the way through to birds, reptiles, you name it, We've got him for about fifteen minutes more, so call now one three hundred triple two eight nine one if you'd like to connect with James Smith, our wonderful urban zoologist, but he is here to launch our autumn talkback Gardeners photographic competition. How do you attract wildlife to your garden? And as John said, a lot of people, that is now one of the very important aspects of gardening. It's not just about how it looks and what you can eat, but it's also what animals that you have in your garden. So we would like to see what you've planted or installed or landscaped, some of the principles that James has just been talking about with the wildlife that you've attracted to your garden in it so as I said earlier it does not matter if you've got a very small garden on a balcony or in your courtyard whether you've got a suburban house block or whether you're lucky to have a much larger garden We just want to see uh, in photographic terms what you've planted, installed, or landscaped. Send us through a photograph or two. Uh, James will judge the competition. um, And of course, as you know, he's got great background as an urban zoologist. John and I will try and assist him any way that we can. And the competition is open as of now. Now, it's until close of business on Tuesday, the 6th of April. So that's the Tuesday after Easter. So you've got all of Easter to take some photographs, get out in your garden and do that. And we'll announce the winners on Talkback Gardening on Saturday, the 10th of April. So... Just be aware you've got from today through until the end of Easter, but you must get your entries in by close of business Tuesday the 6th. We won't be taking anything after that. And it's really important to note that any photographs that you send to us might be used by us here at ABC Radio Adelaide on our social media platforms or by John in his Good Gardening newsletter. So we'll assume your permission to use them if you enter the competition. Entry is via the website. Please get your pencil out. It is Adelaide Weekends, with an S, Adelaide Weekends, at abc.net.au. And James, you have donated one of your very popular books, Wildlife of Greater Adelaide, as one of our main prizes. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And you've also got on board Professor Chris Daniels, well known to people. He's a regular, of course, on David Bevan's Mornings program. He's the uh, chair, I think, of Green Adelaide.
1: Presiding member, yeah, of Green Adelaide.
0: uh, Which is wonderful. He has donated his guide to urban wildlife. That's his personal gift. And Green Adelaide has also got a wonderful prize for you. You can have an expert, an ecologist or a nature staff education member to actually visit your home or your school Um, to offer some wildlife attracting advice to you if you're one of our winners. There is also a wonderful book Frogs of South Australia by Mike Tyler and Steve Walker and in fact on the text line this morning there is a picture of a frog that's come through so you'll want to enter the competition and also Attracting Butterflies to Your Garden by uh, L. Hunt and others. So they are some of the prizes and I've also got some Gardening Australia and organic gardening magazines to throw into the mix. Isn't that get, wonderful? I mean, there's yes, so many yes, prizes. That, that
2: really is brilliant of you to organise that, James. But, okay, Deb, you've explained it. We want your photos and we want them sent to uh, the ABC. How does James actually launch the program?
0: Well, that's a really good question. Have you got something official in mind, James? Do you want to declare it open officially?
1: (laughs) I think you've done a brilliant job, Deb, and I think it is open. It's just so exciting.
0: (laughs) It's now officially launched so if you've sent that some wonderful photographs to me this morning send through just a, just a sentence or two with your photographs we don't want to make it an essay it's because it's really a visual competition to adelaide weekends at abc.net.au please do it now and we're getting some wonderful texts uh, and some questions also which we'll come to in just a moment
2: Sure can I just comment on the book that uh, James put together it's not James's book uh, but it's The Wildlife of Adelaide, and you, you put it on, uh, together on behalf of uh, environmentalists and, and, and the governments. Uh, but uh, it, 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 it's about 300 pages, isn't it? it, it, it yeah, oh, yeah, it's 400, four, 450 pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And it, it, it covers all, oh, well, yeah, virtually all of the wildlife that you're likely to find. It, it's a brilliant reference book. And even if you uh, don't win the prize, it's the kind of book... That uh, if you're a keen gardener And particularly if you're interested in bringing the wildlife back into the garden uh, It's the kind of reference book that is just wonderful to tell you The difference between the different spiders or the different beetles Or <laughs> what might be out there So that's a wonderful book And, and uh, I know that they sold out first time round And it's available, I think, still but There
1: are still some copies available oh, But yeah, it's, it's almost sold out, I believe yeah. right, okay. I hope
0: it's in our local libraries, Jane
1: it's in most many of the libraries, certainly. Yeah. Excellent. That's yeah, good to yeah, hear. Brilliant
2: book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's a wonderful gift. Thank yeah, you, thank you for, for that.
0: Well, we are going to come to some of your questions because we've got Mr Smith here. Are you a doctor, James? Do- I'll call you Mr James Smith, our urban zoologist is here to take your calls. The number is 1300 222 891. Give us a call now and James can answer your questions.
3: Talkback Gardening
0: with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on
1: ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: We've just launched our Autumn ABC Talkback Gardening Photographic Competition. James Smith, urban zoologist is here in the studio and happy to take your calls on attracting wildlife, all sorts of critters into your garden. Yvonne from Maylands has called on 1300 22891. Good morning, Yvonne. Good
3: morning. Um, I think councils have been dissuaded from, park, from planting uh, layers of vegetation in pocket parks because there is a program called Landscaping for Reducing Crime. It's not the exact wording, but it's that's the intent of that program, which has been heavily sold to local councils. And that requires that you must be able to stand in a spot and be able to look straight through a park. And that mitigates against planting layers of vegetation and shrubs. And I think that's a great pity, and I don't know how we can combat that and try and get some biodiversity and layers of vegetation into those pocket parks.
0: Excellent point, Yvonne. Thank you. We'll put that to James.
1: I think that is an excellent point, Yvonne. And I also think that policy or strategy came from a different era, and um, I know many councils are moving or changing with how they're actually trying to bring back biodiversity in their own parks. And... And perhaps it needs to be looked at more broadly. There are clever planting strategies that can be employed, things that can actually dissuade people from like prickly plants and a whole range of other dense native things that people aren't going to get into. So if it can be thought through more fully rather than dominated by one uh, predisposed thought, I think that would be a great idea.
0: And it's interesting, isn't it, James, because the opportunity for people to have those sort of dense plantings in their homes is decreasing as we're seeing urban infill. We're seeing one suburban house block go and it being replaced with two and sometimes three dwellings on that one point with hardly any green in them whatsoever.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Some time ago, somebody must have sat down and made a list of plants, shrubs in particular, that will survive in, in suburban parks and gardens. And I think it's time that that list was updated. There are people like James, and there are a lot of people with a lot of background information that could say, look, uh, you can diversify the kind of shrubs that are growing in parks in particular, as well as gardens, and not create a problem. And and that, I think, is what you're saying, James, is, is, is you know, we just need to forget about what was happening in the past and, and look towards the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know Dr. Sharon Pittman, who was working at the Botanic Gardens yes. some years ago, um, developed a wonderful program that would help people screen and pick appropriate plants. And one of the things about attracting wildlife, if you, you can have any sort of garden you like, but a really clever landscape gardener that I, was, I know very well said, wherever he's putting in uh, whatever type of garden someone wants, the backbone of that or or um, all of the primary plants that aren't necessarily feature plants are all indigenous to the area. So they're all native plants because that's what native insects are ready for.
0: Fantastic. Our special guest is James Smith, urban zoologist. We only have him for a short amount of time. So if you want to pick his brain, one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number to call. Andy from Glenalta has done just that. Welcome, Andy.
4: Thanks a lot. Uh, I just want to ask about our James's opinion about the Belair National Park proposed redevelopment. Um, I think that's a huge revegetation opportunity. Um, But it's got some, you know, concerns about a buffer zone to protect from fire as well. So if you could talk to that.
0: Well, that's a big issue, isn't it? Because people are very concerned in their home gardens as well about bushfires.
2: Very much so, yeah. And again, uh, uh, there are those kind of projects which are going and and james is, is very much focused in in running his for nature and uh, he's also very strongly involved with if i'm allowed to say the museum oh i've said it sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll take it back <laughs> what's your
0: view about that sort of revegetation program
2: look i think um
1: there are a lot of authorities or experts within the department that are going to review that. And I think it's really important that we have community engagement. There are concerns about fire. Yes, there's important aspects about buffer zone, um, what comes into it from the community, but also the park itself obviously has a whole range of weeds, as many do have. So how we control and manage that and that's a much bigger question than we're able to look at this morning. I think it's a really important question, um, Andy, and, and it's something that would take time, but I don't know whether we have the time to No, we're really it. looking no, at home gardening questions but, but this I morning. But I perceive
2: that there is a change in government thinking and as they are now starting to focus on urban uh, food production and there is a wonderful section of, uh, used to be NRM, they keep on changing the name, um, at a Greening Adelaide, is it? Uh, yeah, OK, but uh, there are... People there that are doing some wonderful background work and we need to make sure that we get access to that information and get it out to the public. Look,
1: absolutely. Greening Adelaide has a fantastic educational unit. They go out and do training with schools and they have lots of advice for um, uh, people in backyards about what to plant, how to attract, that sort of thing and that sort of advice is really important to get out there.
0: Sue from McLaren Vale joins us on blue wrens, and I must say I'm getting quite a few texts on them as well. Hi, Sue. Yeah,
5: hi, all. Um, I was just wondering, um, over the last few years, we've never had blue fairy wrens, but we certainly have now, and I've got a lot of different sorts of wrens coming in. But I was just wondering, where do the males go in wintertime? The girls seem to still be here, but the males seem to disappear. And I was wondering what they eat, because they're always on the lawn, look, jumping around everywhere, and I'm just wondering what they're eating.
1: Well, look, you've raised a really interesting question. The males are there as well. But actually, the plumage changes over the year, uh, typically in autumn, and it does change from bird species uh, to bird species, but often in autumn, the birds have a complete molt. And um, the uh, fairy wrens, as I understand it, um, they molt in uh, winter, and then they, um, sorry, they molt in autumn. And then between autumn and spring, the tips of those feathers actually abrade or wear away so the blue is underneath it and then as as the tips of because as they go about their daily life the tips of the feathers are lost and then they seem to emerge into this beautiful blue and then they're there through the summer while they're breeding displaying um uh defending their territories And then they um, remolt again in autumn. Now, some birds molt a couple of times a year. I think with fairy rent, it's just the once late in autumn.
0: There you go. Sue, you may have the men sticking around. You just didn't recognise them. Uh, One theme that we are getting on the text line, and Tricia has picked it up as well, is attracting native bees. Tricia's in Brighton, says there's space to plant, but what to plant to attract them in?
1: Look... Um, Dr. Catcher Hugendorn, who's been on here before and John knows really well as a friend of the program, has some fantastic information that is available on um, native bees. And often it is, um, again, native plants like Scavola, and there's a whole range of them. In fact, Catcher um, uh, has uh, some printouts or leaflets that are available that will indicate the right sort of um, plants to plant. And while they will take um, exotic species, Typically, again, it's mainly native for native bees.
2: Well, we're talking insects. uh, Okay, people are wanting to bring back bees, but there are a lot of other insects out there, and I suppose beetles and spiders are my friends. Um, How do they rate as wildlife? And if people are uh, interested in those, can they be part of the competition? Oh,
1: look, absolutely. Um, Invertebrates, like, everything relies on the plants at the base, but most of the larger species we're looking at rely on insects in some way or other be they pollinators be they food they're incredibly important and beetles are the most as far as we know complex or diverse group of organisms on the planet so there are more beetles than there are anything else and they go from something like half a millimetre up to tens of millimetres. They're just
2: amazing. I spend a lot of time just scratching around in the garden, and that's only a small garden, but the diversity of beetle life is brilliant.
1: It is, um, particularly um, the ones that scratch around underneath things and dig in the garden. Mm. Many of the larvae are in the garden, but many of the beetles, we think of bees and butterflies as pollinators, many beetles, the adults, are incredible pollinators as well. Christmas beetles, for
2: example. So it comes back to this diversity or the different elements you, you're talking about. It's not just the plants. It is also uh, um, things such as grasses and, and, and just uh, just the elements of uh, having bark and, and, and material for those little critters to survive so that they've been gobbled up by the, the next layer.
1: Yeah, or so they're breaking down, putting that organic matter back, back yeah. into the soil, yeah. feeding the fungi etc. Those microbes, all of that, the complexity of this all builds up to a wonderful wildlife garden.
0: Getting some incredible texts with incredible pictures. A lot of people saying water is essential. As you said, James, there are certain pillars that you have to have. Shelter, food, water, structure, clear space for some uh, animals. Um, and uh, this person makes a good uh, point on the text line if you're constantly redeveloping and re-landscaping your garden you might be precluding the establishment of certain creatures such as trapdoor spiders she shivers <laughs> um, so maybe a part of your garden should be left as is as much as possible as some sort of arc suggests this listener
1: a uh, very wise suggestion um, some species rely on change and a uh, uh, species that actually take advantage of that but many species need really quite stable environments as well.
0: James Smith is an urban zoologist. He's also a judge in our Autumn Talkback Gardeners photographic competition on how you attract wildlife to your garden. Just reiterate again we want a photograph of what you have planted, landscaped or installed in order to attract insects, birds, uh, reptiles or other animals into your garden. I've had Probably fifty photographs this morning on the text line. Don't send them to the text line. You need to send them to our Adelaide Weekends email address, which is Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. Adelaide Weekends. ...at abc.net.au. The prizes that are up for grabs are incredible. Um, James Wildlife of Greater Adelaide book... ...Professor Chris Daniels' Guide to Urban Wildlife... ...you might have an expert from Green Adelaide... ...come to visit your home to offer wildlife attracting advice... There's the Frogs of South Australia book by Mike Tyler and Steve Walker and Attracting Butterflies to Your Garden book by L Hunt and others. And I have got lots of magazines to throw into the mix as well, so so many reasons to join. But I will just say again, please note that if you are sending your photos in to us, we may reprint them on our social network to say, "Wow, look at this amazing photograph." Also, John in his Good Gardening newsletter may do the same. So, uh, just note that you're giving us our permission, uh, to your permission to do that if you enter the competition.
2: And it closes.
0: It closes. Let's get the good oil here on close of business Tuesday, the sixth of April. With the winners announced, with James back again in Talkback Gardening on Saturday the tenth of April, and have I don't I know you have to leave any minute, James, but have you got time for one quick call from Kate in Northfield? Hi, Kate. Yeah, hi.
3: I'm wanting to know about street lighting. They've we've, they've improved that in our area, but it's really lit up my garden, which I try to attract habitat to um, wildlife, but also the um, infield houses next to us. They've got an enormous amount of lighting on all night.
1: Look, um, the amount of light pollution that is around, from street lights, from outdoor lights, even from um, these little solar lights to light paths, it makes it incredibly confusing for many nocturnal species, Um, be they moths or whatever it happens to be. You'll see we used to have so many moths attracted outside when the one light was on um now they're all confused about that and and it it impacts a whole range of things nocturnal species there is real concern about that from anything from astronomical observers um to people interested in wildlife
0: there is a dark sky movement at the moment because light pollution has pretty much reached critical level for a lot of species uh, on our planet unfortunately so um that's a great Point to end on, Kate. Thank you very much for raising it. Thanks for all of your calls and your beautiful texts, but do send them to Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. Urban zoologist James Smith, we love you the fact that you're joining us with this. Thank you
1: so much. You're very welcome. Look, Adelaide and, and KI is a biodiversity hotspot. And unfortunately, we exclude many people and uh, many species from urban adelaide i see this as a real chance to attract back some of those species and we really be a biodiversity city it's just fantastic
0: i'd love that thank you james lovely to have you in the studio james smith is having to leave us as we speak but john lamb is here to take your talk back gardening calls on 1300 222 Eight, nine, one, And coming up on the program, John will be launching his tomato survey. It's 25 minutes to 10.
1: To watch the latest stories from ABC News and clips from our current affairs shows online, it's time to go direct to the source. Australia's most reliable news can be found on ABC Radio, the ABC News app and the ABC News website. Download the free app now and stay across local breaking stories, updates and analysis from Australia's most trusted news. What matters to you matters to us and it's all on the ABC News app and news.abc.net.au. Talk Back Gardening
3: with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Lorraine is in Port Elliot and has a question for John Lamb. Good morning, Lorraine.
3: Morning, Deb. Morning, John. Um, John, I've heard that coffee grounds are very good for the garden. Can you give me some advice on that?
2: Coffee grounds are organic, and anything that's organic can be sort of broken down and and reused. Um, There's one area of concern. I can remember many, many, many years ago uh, advocating that people use uh, uh, coffee Uh, to control snails and I was uh, drawn to some research that says a coffee uh, the concentrated coffee is an insecticide and actually kills things so you've got to make sure it's the grounds and what's left over uh, if you're using because uh, there could be some uh, elements still left that might have an effect on some of the microbes in the soil but um, I think I mean there are people that use uh, uh, coffee grounds to grow their worms and and, and they feed the coffee grounds to worms and certainly in the compost bin it's absolutely nothing wrong with that because it gets blended with all the other materials and anything that's hostile will get broken down very very quickly so I'd say don't throw it out use it um, but make sure that uh, somebody's drunk the coffee before you, (laughs) you, you use it
3: Oh, no worries about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lorraine, for the I can, call. <laughs> I can understand
2: that sentiment.
0: John loves his coffee. Uh, Andrew is at Surrey Downs. Andrew, uh, you've got a problem with wire weed. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's well,
6: actually horrible sort of ready weed that has a little round uh, leaves. I've uh, got a grevillea garden I'm putting in, and uh, since I've switched over from rainwater to tap water, the weed has just really sprung up. And I remember back in the 60s and 70s, you used to have a... A mesh filter you could put in uh, in line with your hose that would filter out stuff coming from the Murray water. And you'd think these days with the water supply being better, that that shouldn't happen. But I'm wondering if anyone else has had this experience when they use the tap water, they seem to get a lot more weeds. That's
2: interesting, uh, we get that one sort of coming up every five or six years and uh, uh, everybody thinks that the weeds come from, from the water, uh, I can assure you as former chairman of the customer council of the water uh, SA Water, many many years ago uh, we looked at that and it, the filtration system that uh, the water goes through, our water is, is probably as good as you'll get in Australia and yeah. often from many countries around the world, um, and they actually, where you get people from around the world come to SA Water to uh, have a look at the laboratories and take a look at our filtration system. So I just don't think that the uh, water, the Adelaide water, is the problem there, Andrew. Um,
6: yeah, I'm, I'm hand-weeding it because uh, I don't want to put anything near it. But the other thing is uh, I had a bumper tomato crop, and it was fully pollinated just by native bees. There were no none of the other european bees around and one other thing is i read in a 19, 1890 scientific american that a very strong coffee kills anthrax
2: yeah and and okay <laughs> that's good comment and i just think that uh, yeah there's a lot of concern out there and uh, we just need to take those concerns on board
0: yeah thank you very much andrew sue in brighton your mandarin tree's not doing well
3: Yes, hello, Deb, Hello, John. Um, I have a mandarin tree which has uh, thrived pretty much on neglect for about the last thirty five years in the back corner of my yard. But just in the last couple of years, um the odd branch in the middle of it has remained bare when it has um, been you know it, it's just losing its leaves sort of slowly. Um I've been told to chop it right back to almost shoulder height and it will um come on again. I was just wondering what time of the year to do that.
2: Well, the first part of the uh, comment is is spot on. You'll find that an old old piece of citrus can be rejuvenated quite effectively by cutting it back. And uh, what you're doing is by cutting it right back uh, you're giving the a root system, which has probably been limited because of what's happened over the previous few years, uh, has a chance to regrow and it grows back in balance. And if you look after the plant in and, and terms of water and nutrition, you'll find that you can get it back to a reasonable size fairly quickly. Um, and uh, the second part of the question was,
3: uh, when should I? Oh, when that? to do it? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I would not do it now. Um, right. Citrus. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to have, and Darren Ray next week, climatologist, will tell us, I think that uh, our mild weather is going to continue well into uh, April and maybe even into May without too much rain. But let Darren talk to you about that one. Um, Even so... Uh, We'll drop our temperatures, by soil temperatures will drop about 4 degrees during April and that'll bring them down to about uh, 16 and they'll drop down another 4 degrees uh, in in May and so we get down to around about 12 degrees and uh, citrus will just stop growing then. Whereas if you wait until probably uh, the beginning of October... Soil temperatures are starting to go back up again and air temperatures will be very, very encouraging to new growth. So if you do it then, I think you'll find you'll have quite a lot of success.
3: Excellent. So that means I get fruit over the winter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just just look the other way. (laughs) Uh, In the meantime, (laughs) I mean, I would be uh, getting some organic material. um, uh, Mulch it with pigeon manure if you can find it. Be careful that you wear a mask if you're using it or chup manure any kind of manure and just mulch the tree now and that will molder away and that organic material will get into the root system and that also helps prime the root system for when you cut things back.
3: Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Sue. Hope your mandarin tree comes back to life. Uh, Sally is in Goodwood. Now, you've got a peach tree question, Sally.
3: Oh yes, um, uh, good morning. Um, I've got a tree that I've, I've had in for probably about 12 years and it's, it's never fruited properly. Uh, it flowers profusely, uh, produces um, hundreds of um, little um, golf ball sizes of fruit and then most of it just falls.
2: Do you know yeah, whether it was a seedling or whether it is uh, a proper grafted tree that was brought from a garden centre?
3: It was a grafted tree, yes, yeah, um, and the apricot tree next to it always goes gangbusters. The fruit that I do get um, last year, last season, I think I got six. They're beautiful, but. 6 isn't
2: enough. (laughs) Right. And the reason I asked uh, whether it was uh, seedling or not, because what you've described is very typical of what often happens. People get a a seedling and they grow and then all you get is a a small fruit and no matter what you do, you just never seem to get a decent kind of a fruit, which, of course, is why we buy selected varieties. Um, Um, If it's not that, then... It
3: was a double. It was one of those ones that had two fruits, two different types of peaches grafted onto it.
2: Yes. No. Okay. And, um,
3: the fruit that I do get is massive. It's beautiful, huge, big, clean. You oh, okay. Know, f- fill your handful. So things. you're just, just not
2: a- getting enough fruit or, or many fruits. And I
3: get heaps of fruit, and yes. then when it gets to about golf ball size, ninety percent of them just drop.
2: Drop off. I'll,
3: co- I'll yeah, I'll come out in the garden and it's just scattered all over the. All do you over. know what
2: variety or what what peach it is? Mm-hmm.
3: Oh no, you got me there. It's a beautiful big. Um, it's a great orange. big one. If
2: it's $1 million dollar, it needs cross pollination. It's one of oh, the few. Okay. One of the few peaches that well oh. that it will perform if you give cross pollination. Most of the peaches don't need cross pollination.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, and I think that probably it's lost its partner. And uh, right. if you put another peach nearby or next door's neighbour has got a peach tree and sure. it flowers at the same time, pinching some a, a little bunch or of, of branch of flowers mm-hmm. and sticking it in a vase next to yours okay. while it's flowering, uh, that might make a big difference. I, I think it's pollination problem and it's not uh, oh, okay. uh, cross-pollination. Even
3: though I'm getting the fruit? S-
2: sorry, what's that?
3: Even though even though it's producing fruit?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, um, I think... The fact that it's getting small fruit, I think there's something that's it's stopping um, the, either the the plant to be pollinated or the fruit to be pollinated correctly.
3: Oh, okay, yeah. Or,
2: or else uh, there's something hostile in the soil, and I presume that you know if you've got good soil, if you're watering correctly. Um, and you 're mulching, putting organic matter into the soil the uh, the only thing other thing is is stress. If during a critical time of the plant actually starting to expand in its growth, if it gets dry, the root system gets dry, then uh, you 'd get small fruit, but I mean that wouldn 't happen year after year there's some other factor there yeah, but, yeah. well yeah. And i
3: 'm looking at it now and it's um it 's actually flowered and uh producing little fruits now but
2: I assume they're not going to last are they? No no that's just atypical and you'll find a lot of fruit trees um, they flower mainly in springtime but when we get similar day length and temperatures to spring you'll find that they'll flower but not very profusely and the the fruit doesn't amount to anything.
0: Well let's hope a mate will uh, help your fruit problem there Sally we'll move on now to Michael in McGill. Uh, Michael you've got a question about trimming grass-like plants.
4: Yeah, I've, I've got quite a few uh, Lomandra and liriope in my garden. Uh, they're about two years old and I'm wondering, should I trim them back and when should I trim them back?
2: Righto. Are they looking pretty daggy at the moment? No, they're looking
4: pretty good at
5: the okay. moment.
2: We'll leave them alone until probably late winter, early spring. Most of those kind of plants will come into uh, fairly strong, vigorous growth and look nice and attractive um, in that uh, early spring period. In the meantime... Uh, you know, so long as they don't go da- too daggy on you. If you do, you know, just trim off uh, the, the material that's died back. Probably the most important thing now is to give it a good mulching with a, a slow-acting organic fertilizer, cow manure. Mulch it with cow manure would be brilliant. Um, okay. You can buy, you know, that by the bag, and just spread that. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, I've got, I've got some. I don't. Okay, so up, you reckon uh, trim them, trim them back in uh, in spring?
2: Yeah, or late winter, early spring. Yeah, winter, yeah, Just yeah. watch it. Yeah. Uh, depending on how warm uh, we get, uh, quite often uh, in August, temperatures start to increase quite rapidly, and you'll see that uh, new tip growth will appear in the crowns of the plants. So get down on hands and knees if you can see it starting to grow. You'll know that's the time to cut it back.
6: Okay, thank you very much.
0: Thanks for the call, Michael. David at Kyneton's got an almond tree question. Hi, David.
5: <laughs> Morning, Dad. Morning, John. Um, you've forgotten it. Cainton.
0: Cainton. <laughs> Cainton. I get it wrong every time. Sorry, no, David. you
5: usually get it right. Um, Cainton is uh, parrot country, um, especially uh, the uh, corellas and, uh, and galahs that flock around in their hundreds. Um, Now, I've got a very large almond tree, uh, which they've absolutely destroyed over the years. Last year, they uh, took all the foliage off. It was so dry up here. And I've got a, um, I assume it's a a sucker um, that's grown up to about two metres underneath it, um, which produces huge, great big fruit in large quantities and it it swarts the parrots they break their beaks on them they can't get into it um now suddenly a few weeks ago they all fell off hundreds of them they're on the ground now my question basically is um if they don't ripen on the tree Will, that, uh, will the almonds be toxic? Will will they be unusable, une- uh, inedible?
2: I think that's a little bit out of my field there, David, to tell you the toxicity of the almonds and uh, how quickly the their toxicity builds up. Um, and you've also got to take on board that uh, there are sometimes things that might be toxic to us, but certain animals find that that's not a problem. They can deal with it. They just uh, separate the toxicity and out it goes the other end. Uh, and so they're not a. Um, the fact that parrots and birds eat so many um, uh, things like almonds and particularly you know, the, the nuts and things like that and you don't see uh, dead birds all over the ground, uh, I think I would sort of come down on the side that uh, they can deal with it. But, as I say, that's only my perception, and what is reality, I'm not too sure. Is it an
5: old uh, story, then, that uh, unripe almonds are full of, is it cyanide or one of those uh, poisons?
2: It's not one that I've heard. I'm actually wow. putting my little asterisk on that to find out for my own interest, to find out, and if I find out anything significant, I'll bring that back to next pro- week's program, David.
0: Thanks, David, because I, I thought that you. as well, and I've, I've, you can taste a bitterness in it. In fact, almonds are used in marzipan. You've got that... Bitter sort of arsenic type flavour uh, to it, so I'm interested to see what your research shows as well, John. Uh, I have got an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away. If you have not won a magazine from us in the last month, then please call on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Been receiving some beautiful photographs of. Big red tomatoes from you. Mick at Coro East sent through third batch of tomato sauce made last night. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about John's tomato survey next. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
2: on
1: ABC Radio Adelaide.
2: Over the past decade or so, we've run an end of tomato season survey. The whole idea is to try and work out what are the people having good crops doing that the people that got disappointing crops are not doing. And it's unearthed a whole range of very valuable information. The importance 10 years ago we discovered of those that were putting organic matter into the soil well before they planted their tomatoes. The importance of mulching, not to stop the weeds, but from keeping the temper- the root systems cool. Uh, the importance of watering correctly. Uh, and then came the very, very hot weather. And so we asked people what they were doing and uh, we discovered shade cloth was very, very effective. But this year, of course, there wasn't a Heat waves. So, what were the issues? And I think it's the cool weather. It was cooler um, than normal, and that has also, because there were not any heat waves, encouraged a lot of people to put in a second crop. So our survey is designed to actually find out how your good crops and your disappointing crops have gone, and if you put in a second crop, how does your second crop rate with the first crop? So the survey is ready to go. It's in the Good Gardening newsletter uh, last week, and it'll be in the next two issues. When I say the survey, the link there, there's a link there. Just click on that. It opens up the survey. will take you about five minutes to do, and we would really appreciate you uh, taking part in it, Uh, when I left this morning there was about 300 surveys that have been been surveyed already Already? in 24 hours, so you know, we'll get up around about a thousand surveys I should think and that gives us very good overview of what people are doing and and what are the differences and comparing one against the other so thank you for those that have put in your uh, surveys already and if you haven't and if you've grown tomatoes, whether successful or not, we want to hear from you, so please be part because you'll help everybody else.
0: That's right It doesn't matter if you didn't have a successful season. There are lessons to be learnt from that. So if you haven't already uh, signed up to John Lamb's Good Gardening Newsletter, it is J-O-N, John Lamb, if you're putting him in the search engine. All you need to do is put in your email address and it will arrive like magic every Friday morning for you and John and uh, the... Good gardening newsletter and ABC Radio Adelaide talkback gardening have a, a very symbiotic relationship. Yes, and of course we, we will then
2: summarise the information that comes back at the end of it. We, we will bring the information back here, and uh, there may be a fit appropriate to get a, a tomato. Uh, expert, <laughs> or maybe a good gardening tomato grower, who will be able to give us some interpretation of some of the results.
0: Fantastic! That's uh, something to look forward to in the coming weeks. And don't forget, of course, our wonderful wildlife competition. So many entries on the text line that you can't enter that way. You've got to send it to Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. And I was on the sick list last week, as you would know. The hour between nine and ten of Talkback Gardening is podcast. Every week, I'll get last week's and this week's up this oh, morning. So we're uh, stay tuned for that. And congratulations to Richard from Aldgate who has won the ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Let's now go to Melrose Park, Adrian. Your navel orange is a bit mutated. What's going on?
4: Yes. Well, firstly, um, I'll just—I've been gardening here for twenty, and I grow about six million-dollar peach trees. Yes. And in the, the early years, I wasn't getting much, and somebody said buy a Blackburn, Alberta tree, Yes, but I didn't buy one, I just knew someone who had one, and I just grafted that onto a branch of the peach tree down in the yard, and over the years, I I cannot count how many big, full-size million-dollar peaches I end up with.
2: Adrian, thank you very much for that information. That uh, backs up what, uh, uh, again, my perception now becomes a reality. Because
4: I I have grown peaches from seed, yes. like the Golden Queen seed, and yes. I do graft onto them a, a proper known producer, and that a bla- it has to be Blackburn Alberta, not the Alberta.
2: Okay, thank you very much for that, Adrian. Now, you've okay, got-
4: now my navel orange tree, yes. Washington navel. Yes, it's produced some beautiful. Well, all my all my trees grow beautifully, and I don't have the problems, sadly, that other um, callers had with their fruit. Yes. Now, one branch has just decided to mutate, like the bud sport type thing that you hear about sometimes. Now, when I put the two fruit together, I've got lots of um, tennis ball size Washington navels on it, which is normal size, and it's just produced an elongated fruit, this silly mutated branch, and I want... It's about two or three inches long. It's kind of cigar-shaped, and it's... I believe it's just a mutation, because it's not a grass. I didn't graft anything onto it. So what... Because some of them, sometimes those mutations, they grow to be a popular fruit. They become a popular fruit. That's in right.
2: The, yes. Yeah. Yes. Don't cut, chop it off before you find out what's going. No.
4: No. Um, I'm, I'm dying for the time when it ripens. So. Right. But I, what what happens if when it ripens? Can somebody come and look at it? Just or I've taken photos of it. Maybe I can send yes. it to your email box or something.
2: Yeah. Well, I, what I'd suggest is if you send an email. Um, and you can actually attach the photo to the Rare Fruits uh, Society, SA Rare Fruit Society. Um, they have got, in fact, they've... Uh, previous vice president I think was a a previous citrus researcher so they have some wonderful uh, access to wonderful uh, technical information and and background. Send uh, the Rare Fruit Society a photo and and explain that you would like uh, if possible for somebody to have a look at it and I know the the curiosity of people within that organisation, somebody will want to come and have a look at it and uh, uh, tell you whether you can uh, make a fortune out of it Adrian (laughs) or or whether it's just uh, it was the rootstock uh, except it's not a rootstock you know there's a lot of fun there keep on going adrian i encourage you to sort of be curious and find an answer and uh, if you can find uh, that you've made a a new variety uh, make sure you let us know
0: yes please do adrian keep us in the loop on that one our last call this morning if we are quick is
3: zorka in the adelaide hills good morning Hi, Zeb. John, I've got this two-part question. I've got a whole selection of camellias, a whole whole selection of calla lilies and two camellias. When do I pick the the balls off my camellias to plant those pods? Right. uh, Well, if you can
2: see that the pods are opening up on your camellia... Uh, harvest them otherwise they'll drop to the ground Uh, harvest them put them in a little paper bag and uh, put them somewhere nicely labeled and remember where you put them uh, and just keep them until probably late winter if you wanted to and you're really serious and wanted to grow them probably uh, about uh, the middle of august pop them into the crisper section of the fridge and chill them and give them about four weeks chilling and then that takes you probably towards the end of September. If you put, plant them into a potting mix or seed-raising mix, you'll find that uh, they'll take a while to germinate, but you'll get nice new plants. And who knows, you also might find that you've got a new camellia.
3: <laughs> oh, beauty. No, I've got, I've got about 12 glorious varieties of, of lilies All right, okay. rosettes, purple hearts when do I take those
2: right they're finished pollen. flowering and the, the, the seeds are set now
3: well, they, they, they're hanging off. They're hanging off the uh, the stems from the plant. Yeah, okay. Well, look at it, they, they, what do I do?
2: Leave them on the on the plant as long as you possibly can, but make sure they don't uh, drop on the ground. So harvest them. Do exactly the same as you did with the camellia. Plant them again at the same time, early in spring, and again you'll be surprised at what uh, actually comes up. Well done.
0: Thanks, Zorka. Thank you for your beautiful texts this morning. Lots of them. Make sure that you send your entries into our photographic exhibition to Adelaide. Weekends at abc.net.au someone said can we send more than one yes but don't send a hundred we just want one or two of your best absolutely, pictures yes. because there will be a lot to go through so and just a sentence or two around them not an essay uh, Ab- Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au it's been a fantastic morning john
2: absolutely and next week we take a look at the climate as well as landscapes and until next week i'll say good gardening